Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. Welcome to Diner Talks with James. I'm James, my friends. I am pumped that you are here, and I am ready to get this show cooking. That's it. That's it. We out here back in the diner. My friends, this is a really special day because the podcast of Diner Talks with James launched today, my friends. It is out there. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Podchaser. It's on Stitcher. It's on here. It's on there. The thing is everywhere, my friends. And I am pumped. And I want to thank you for being a part of this journey because I wanted to put something out like this out into the world for six or seven years. And I never did it because I didn't think it was good enough. And I didn't think I was good enough. And, and honestly, I actually recorded and edited eight episodes of Diner Talks with James back in the day. It wasn't called Diner Talks with James back then. Um, but, uh, but I recorded eight episodes of it and I never released them because I never thought they were good enough. Now, uh, but my friends, this is the moment. I had some, a really great team behind me, and I'm really excited to be here with y'all and celebrating. And so, thank you for coming to the diner with me. For those of you that come every week and kick it with your boy, you're looking good. You're looking good, Martha. How are you? Good to see you, friend. Thanks for coming through. So, my friends, are we ready to get this thing cooking? I think we're ready to get this thing cooking. All right, I'm gonna bring out in just a second. The one and only uh, Jeremy Poinsonneau. <laughs> oui, oui. Uh, <laughs> he is my favorite Frenchman for sure. Um, he doesn't have a French accent, but I'm sure he can put it on for you if he asks nicely. But Jeremy is an incredible human being. One of the kindest men I know. Um, a zest for life that is unmatched and just a sheer joy to spend time with. And if I'm ever in San Diego, he and I are going to the range. We're playing a little bit of golf, but most most importantly, we're eating tacos overlooking the Pacific Ocean and just having great conversations. Jeremy points to know is the world blind golf champion. My friends, let me say that one more time for the people in the back. The world blind golf champion. No, this is this ain't your mama's local putt putt blind golf at in the Sussex County in New Jersey, y'all. This is the world, okay? He has played in Japan. He's played in Australia. I've watched him high five a kangaroo. He's played in Italy. He has played at Pebble Beach. He's played a lot of really amazing places. But most importantly, maybe not most importantly, uh, but very importantly, he has excelled while playing those uh, those places. He recently shot a 76, which is crazy. Um, that's good for anybody, um, and it's exceptional for him. I know it's one of the best rounds he's shot in a while. Um, that would match my best round of golf ever, um, and both of my eyes work fine on most days. Um, <laughs> so, uh, But on top of that, he is an outrageous speaker, and he's an incredible coach. And he talks about a lot of powerful topics, and I'm excited to bring him out here right now for y'all. So if you can, my friends, go ahead and start that slow clap at home. I don't care if your dog looks at you funny. Let's bring him out right now. The man, the myth, Jeremy points in. No, what's up, buddy? Hey, James, you're too kind, man. Appreciate the intro. My guy, super excited to hang out with you. Likewise, dude. Hey, uh, let's start off by congratulating you again by dropping the podcast, man. That's big stuff. Yo, thank you, man. I appreciate you, dude. Uh, really, happy for you. You. 
It's exciting, man. I mean, you, you know what it's like uh, making the choice to put out a product, right? Like it, it takes a little bit of guts. I know, I know you recently put out a new product in your business with the coaching and uh, you know, it's a little scary because you're like, is anybody going to care or <laughs> people, yeah. is this something that people want? Is this just me being egotistical? Is this right? Like there's, there's this whole mind, uh, this whole mind thing that happens to you, especially in those like upcoming weeks right before you drop something. Would you agree? No, oh, definitely. I think it definitely takes vulnerability and you, you deal with that imposter syndrome. Uh, am I the best to do this? Am I really an expert? At, are there better people out there than me? Sure. And that's if you think that way that, oh, there's better people out there than me, then it's going to deter you from starting. But no, you, you got to have that grit, that determination and get after it and do it mm-hmm. uh, and start like you did. Um, and kudos to you, man. And that's and that is inspirational for other people to say, hey, if he's doing it, I'm going to go do this thing or that thing. So kudos to you, man. Yo, thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. Proud of you. Right back at you as well, man. Uh, we've always pushed each other, and that's one thing I love about our friendship, um, for, sure. for sure. Hold each other accountable in some really cool ways. Uh, for sure. Jeremy, this is Can dire. I ask you a question? Oh, please do. Yeah, get in there. Well, well, you started with your intro and you said that you recorded eight episodes, but it wasn't called Diner Talks with James. I think people listening are probably curious to know. Did you have a name for it then? Um, what was it called? It was called, uh, I think it was called Living Imperfectly. Okay. Yeah, it was called okay. Living Imperfectly. Um, and it was somewhat similar to what we're doing here, except it was way more like strict interview. Like I ask questions, you answer questions. I like, and I didn't, it was really not a lot of me. Um, and it yeah. was mainly just focused on the guest, which is a perfectly fine show format. Um, just, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it was also a very rigid show format where I was like, okay, I have like, I had like five different sections. Each one mm-hmm. got a little bit deeper. I had fairly set questions questions that I asked everybody also. And it just, yeah. it, it didn't feel loose and fun. And I told myself it wasn't good enough. And I told myself, uh, don't put this out there because it's not exactly what you wanted. And so instead, uh, you know, instead just don't do it. But yeah. what the move is, I think more often than not should be put it out there and then adapt. Right. And then, yeah. And then figure it out, like get it out there and then pivot. Um, uh, and so, but I, did, I didn't even let myself do that. I, I talked myself out of it. Yeah, but but you're doing it now and you're doing a fluid approach rather, rather than rigid. And this is very much your style and I'm glad you're doing it. It's, uh, I'm honored to be a guest, man. They don't call me Jimmy Fast and Loose for nothing, Jeremy. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They don't call your pops Johnny Nine Holes for nothing. Come on here, huh? Shout out to my father, Johnny Nine Holes himself. Uh, It's funny. So I was talking to my parents yesterday, and they adore you. Uh, We randomly, fun fact about Jeremy and I, um, Jeremy got married in France, like you do as a Frenchman. And um, and he, uh, they did their honeymoon in Scotland. And we randomly were in Scotland at the same exact time, not planned at all. Um, and we got to share some drinks and my parents got to meet him and his fiance uh, and, uh, and a couple of friends of theirs. It was a, it was a special, a special evening. It really was. It really was. And you were about to go play St. Andrews with your pops and your brothers. I mean, what a, what a cool experience. And it was crescendoing from our wedding and you about to play St. Andrews to randomly meet up and hang out at a bar. There was pretty, pretty special. 
I think it's safe to say we both peaked that day. Um, not <laughs> fair to say. Very fair to say. <laughs> um, but uh, I was talking to my parents, and they absolutely fell in love with you there. And they're like, please, please just tell John we're really sorry. We can't watch it live. But we pro- please tell him that we are going to watch the rebroadcast, and we'll listen to the podcast. Just let him know that we care about him. So, okay. so shout okay. out to my parents. Wipe, yeah. Wiping a couple of tears, but uh, I will definitely uh, <laughs> give, him, give him my love. Give him yeah. my love. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, uh, Jeremy shows diner talks with James. Are you a fan of a, of a late night eatery move? Like, do you, do you, uh, do you eat late night or are you a morning person who like, what's, what's your move? Yeah, I wouldn't really say I'm a morning person. I'm a foodie. I'm a foodie. I like good food, uh, wherever we're traveling. And I kind of leave it up to my wife, Ellen, who's kind of, uh, she is, she is my Yelp. Um, and <laughs> Wherever we're at, I'm just like, yo, babe, where, where do we want to go? It, when my dad and I have been traveling for golf or whatever, I'll, um, there were times where I would text her and say, babe, we're in Salt Lake City, Utah. And she would text me a restaurant we should go to and like three of their best meals. And that's what we would do. So uh, I'm very into, I, I'm just a foodie. I like good food. I like anything from French food, Italian food to ramen to tacos, burritos. Like I'm, I'm, I'm into a lot of things. Yeah. And living, living a little North and living in between San Diego and LA, I mean, you got all the options in the world, um, either in those cities and also just uh, in your town, even you live in a big town. So uh, a lot of good food in Carlsbad. Um, Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So what do you have a late night guilty food? uh, Like, like a guilty food pleasure? Like, are you, are you going tacos late at night? Are you going pancakes or, you know, as a, as a West coaster, the diner game is not strong, but you have, strong at all. have in and out and you have obviously late night taco trucks, which I am envious of. You probably have mm-hmm. Denny's, but like, what's your late night food move? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of strict in that sense. Not like I have to be, but I just kind of don't go out late night to eat. Uh, I'm I'm a chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream guy. So hey. if we're yeah, if, if if I got some of that in the freezer, I'll definitely jump on that. My wife makes amazing uh, chocolate chip cookies. I had one of those earlier today. Well so that's yeah, that's kind of my late night late night thing is just a dessert, something like that. Um, that's that's kind of my go to move. That's beautiful, man. I love it. Uh, I love it. We've been doing some late night uh, chocolate chip uh, cookie Sundays over here um, because it's COVID and the world doesn't matter. So, uh, you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well said. Honestly, I think my last diner uh, could have been in Brooklyn with you and Tina and me and my sister. Oh, yeah? That could have been the last time I went to a diner. That's awesome. It was so great to meet yeah. your sister, too. What a what an incredible, incredible woman. That was awesome, dude. Uh, yeah, cool to hang out with you guys. I love how we've met up in random cities. Uh, that's a beautiful oh, yeah. speaker life for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, Jeremy, you know, I mean, first off, normally I would kick you off if you told me you don't normally eat food late at night, but you know, we got standards here, but I'll keep you on cause I like you. Um, I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm, I'm curious, man. I'm curious to talk to you uh, about a few things. And uh, there's some things that have always been on my brain that I've always wanted to catch up with you about. And just, whatever reason the conversation never it was never long enough um and so uh so yeah so so i'm pumped to connect with you today man one one thing i wanted to talk to you about is that um uh first off you uh you went blind in college um and and you, I'll, i'd love for you to tell that story in just a second as well if, if you're willing to um but you went blind in college um and then uh you went through a bit of a a bit of a darker period 
Um, and then you came out on the other side and there was golf sitting there for you. Um, tell us about that journey of, you know, being fully sighted throughout high school and into and starting college. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then and then stuff started to get a little blurry for you. Yeah, yeah. I was fully sighted my whole life. Like you said, high school, everything was great. Went off to San Diego State University, joined a fraternity, had a great freshman year. And was really excited to go into my sophomore year. And about a month into my sophomore year, I noticed I had to squint to read a sign. I was like, okay, I think I need glasses. But there are cool people out there who wear glasses. Am I right, James? Come on now. Come on. So I thought, hey, I'll be like James. I'll rock some glasses and be cool. And uh, it wasn't that easy. Uh, The optometrist uh, was like, no, this is a lot worse than just needing glasses or contacts. And in a period of two months, my sight went from perfect 2020 where it is now. Um, I'm legally blind with no central vision. Uh, I have complete peripheral vision, but everything I look directly at is completely blurred out. Uh, If you're watching at home, put both your hands directly in front of your face like that and look around a little bit. That's what my sight's like all the time. And uh, it was extremely tough. Uh, I, I went through the stages of grief. I went through denial I denied that what was happening was actually happening. I didn't think it was real. I thought I was living a nightmare. Um, I went to anger. I was mad. I was mad at anyone and everyone who crossed my path. I was mad at the world. Uh, I went through bargaining. I pleaded. I said, I'll do whatever it takes to make things go back to the way they were. Whatever it is, I'll do it. I then went to depression, which is very real and something that I don't think we discuss enough in general. Amen to that, Yeah, I I saw a blind psychologist for a year and a half, and that helped a lot, helped put things into perspective, uh, pun intended there, too. And uh, yeah, thanks. That's Uh, incredible that you found a psychologist that also couldn't see. That was awesome. Yeah, that that was uh, thanks to my mom. (laughs) Thanks to my mom. She was uh, she found she found a guy at, at San Diego Center for the Blind and and he was totally blind and he he was extremely helpful. And then I finally reached acceptance and you kind of got to go through those stages and I'm, I'm almost 12 years past it and I'm in a lot better place now for sure than I was then. But um, yeah, it was, it was a really challenging time. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can only imagine brother um, because I mean, there are some people that are born without the ability to see. Um, yeah. And for those folks, they don't, they don't know the other thing. Right. Right. Um, right? right? Um, in a, in a, in a very different way. Um, and I don't, I, I don't compare these uh, at all in the impact of them, but it's like, it's individuals that become lactose intolerant or uh, shellfish intolerant at a later age. And that's like, but I know what cheese tastes like. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah. and so you're in a different, a different place with that. But you know, it's interesting. You mentioned mental health um, and, uh, Resilience is a is a big topic, especially especially in 2020, right? The the need yeah. to be resilient is really big, um, and, and whatnot. Uh, but in the beginning of it, are you out here like, yo, screw resilient? Like, I'm like, you resilient my ass. I don't want to be resilient. I want this. And I'm like, yeah. you know, what was that? What was that like? Did you have a lot of people saying a bunch of cliche things to you? Um, it, it, what was that period like? Yeah, you definitely had people saying cliche things to you like, hey, you're going to get through this. And it's like, well, that's not really what I want to hear right now. It's really hard to say the right things as a person who who maybe isn't in the state where they want to even hear anything. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was. Um, 
And I was going through denial, anger, bargaining, and depression. And during those phases, it was really hard to hear anything from someone who was trying to be helpful when I wasn't ready to take it. Yeah. Um, And I think that's something that that we can all relate with with COVID and the shutdown and and, then quarantine and all of that. Like, I'm sure we've all dealt with denial, anger, bargaining, and depression in Mm -hmm. some form or another and for some period of time. Uh, It could be... uh, a couple of minutes, hours, days, or weeks for us, uh, depending on the person. But we, I think we can all relate to that. And it's, uh, it's very real. Um, but someone said something to me when I, when I lost my sight, a random person said to me, um, they said, you're allowed to visit the poor me house, mm. but you aren't allowed to move in. Ooh. And, and I heard that and I was like, Okay, that's interesting. And it took a while for it to really sink in. And I think it's very, it was very real then. And it's very real now. Like we're allowed to be mad. We're allowed to be upset. We're allowed to be angry, um, but only for a period of time. And then we have to move on and and do the best we can with what we've got. And so uh, it, it, it gets rid of the stigma that we're not allowed to be upset at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's over glorified. It's like, someone in the movie loses their sight they're mad for a day but then the next day they're daredevil you know (laughs) (laughs) it's like come on let's uh, i research says it takes on average two years to go from a traumatic life experience to reaching acceptance and um i'm Mm. i handled it really well i would say uh but it took me at least a year plus to reach acceptance for sure yeah for sure so what you're saying is that you're better than average that's what i'm hearing you say Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm glad. I'm glad you can see that. I'm glad you can re- read between those lines. Uh, but, uh, you said it. I didn't. Jeremy. Uh, first off, uh, my, my man Kevin said it best here in the in the comments. Bars, brother. Uh, they really just spit a lot of really profound things. Um, and I mean, we how many, how many times have we? tried to console somebody before they were ready to be consoled, right? Like, you know, someone's going through a breakup and they just got broken up with, like, there's more fish in the sea. We're like, yeah, but I only like one fish, right? And it's like, I don't want other fish and, or, or just all those things. What will be, will be, or everything happens for a reason, right? Uh, you know, um, my wife and I have dealt with loss before and, uh, and, you know, everything happens for a reason was said to us. And like, I was ready to punch somebody in the face and I don't punch sure. people in the face. Um, right. Sure. But like, yeah. uh, there is a moment, there is a moment where, uh, you know, the right comment could soothe. Um, but oftentimes we try to help others the way we assume we would want to be helped. Right. We kind of, it's like almost like a lazy approach, um, as opposed to actually like being there and just, and this practicing the listening side of empathy, everybody's trying to fix and trying to solve and trying to soothe. But sometimes that listening side of empathy is the most powerful part. And we need to spend time there. Preach, preach, dude. You're so right. I mean, that's people want to be heard. I, w- I would have rather either just sat in, in quiet with someone or have them say like, how are you doing? And have me just vent. Yeah. Then, then try to like come up with the perfect thing and say, you know, everything happens for a reason. Well, how are you going to look at me going legally blind in two months and 19 years old and say that it happens for a reason? Because I was not in a place, like you said, to t- hear that and smile and nod. Like I, I'm like you, I'm not going to punch someone in the face, right. but 
<laughs> I want to when you say something like that to me in a time and place that I was in then. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think it would have been justified if you had told me, so I punched some guy in the face. I'd be like, I get it, Jeremy. I get it. Yeah. Um, like, I, I didn't, I didn't see they were there. I just swung and I got him. I don't, hey, you know, come on now, you know, hey. every squirrel finds a nut. Um, You're darn right. Dude. You're darn right. <laughs> I've said that on the golf course once or twice. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, that's incredible, dude. Um, so yeah, but the, I mean, but the power of resilience, right? Your story has a lot of it. And so how did you go from, how did you think you went from, hey, this is an experience that I went through and it really sucked and I'm angry. You said you went through the stages of grief and then you got to acceptance. Then what is the road from acceptance to, I think I want to talk to other people about this experience look like. Like how, like how, cause that's another, that's a whole nother level, right? It's one thing to yeah. accept. It's another thing to like now turn around and be like, who can I help? Right. Yeah. That's a whole nother level. What was that journey like for you? For sure. Uh, I, I think looking back on it now and to make it applicable to people listening and watching now, I say we need the four P's in our life. I think we need purpose, passion, perspective, and people. Mm. So when you get to acceptance or working your way to acceptance, if you can check those four P's off, then I think you're in a really good place to be able to not only survive, but thrive. Yeah. I love it, brother. No, no further questions. Um, <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. I'm out. That's it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I had a mic, I'd drop it. That's it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Try the carnitas. I'm out of here. Um, there you go. So uh, that is super. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's, I love those four P's. Uh, it's super digestible content um, and, and instantly applicable as well. Um mm-hmm. So for you, I'm curious about the people side, right? Like I care a lot about relationships and the way that we connect to each other, the way that we live and, uh, and, and breathe in each other's lives sometimes. Um, and so when you were finding people for you in that moment, who were some of the first folks that you let in and like let yeah. them love you and let them or, or let yourself vent to them and just let yourself, right? Like, because I mean, once acceptance happens, acceptance doesn't mean all of a sudden there's rainbows and the clouds part and everything's fine. Acceptance right. just means all of a sudden there's more good days than bad days, right? Like yeah. you know, cross yeah. over into that. Um, yeah. And uh, and so, uh, so for you, what was it like to let some of those folks in? And who were some of those early folks that you were that you let in to your mental state, to your process, and also that you let uh, have joy with you? Yeah, good question. And hey, earlier you said breathe into other people's lives. We got to say that's pre-COVID. We we breathe into other people's lives, yeah, right? Thank like, you. Thank you. Yes. No, thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I just got I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll run a disclaimer at the bottom of the screen. Good. Yeah. We we got to clarify that. We got to clarify that. <laughs> Uh, I want to let you finish your thought, but I'm like, hey, hey, light bulb there. We got, we can't be breathing in other people's lives uh, during COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, good question. Um, one of my best friends in college and fraternity brother, Josh, mm-hmm. uh, he was extremely helpful. Uh, my roommate at the time I lost my sight, Mark, was extremely helpful. Uh, my parents, my siblings were amazing. Uh, and then about nine months after losing my sight, I started uh, dating Ellen, who's now my wife. Um, and yeah, she is. I, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, very guarded 
um, and not not confident in myself as an individual at that time. And so I didn't have much self-worth when it came to potentially dating someone. Yeah, sure. uh, but when I started talking with her and then got to that point of dating, she is someone that I let in and and uh, she helped me immensely. Uh, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. And you, what a what a turn of events to allow yourself to potentially be loved, mm. um, right? First, from uh, first, I mean, first off, just I mean, as men, as men, we ne- we're not trained to ask for help, right? As a matter of fact, we're for trained sure. to do the opposite. Um, and for so the sure. fact that you let you know Josh and your roommate in, as you say, his name is Mike. I apologize, Mark. Mark, excuse me, close enough. So Mark, close. Sorry, so close. sorry, Mark. Um, but yeah, so so you let Josh and Mark in, right? And you let them help you. Um, I mean, parents, uh, it's it's often easier to let them in if, if we have good yeah. relationships with them. But the next level of allowing yourself to potentially be loved and cared for uh, and cared about, I should say, um, yeah. it's really powerful. Like, I mean, even right, even right now as, as we talk today and, you know, I'm happily married, we got, we got married fairly close to each other, uh, which is, which is cool. But, uh, even as we're talking today, it is still most days easier for me to love Tina than it is for me to let her love me. Mm. Right. Mm. And well so, um, so, when I think back, when I'm, when I try to put myself somewhat into your shoes of in that moment of like, no, I deserve love or let me see what love would feel like. That is that, I mean, that, that had to be a little, a little bit of like a, it was almost like walking on ice. I would assume like a little bit, there's a little trepidation there. What was that experience like, especially when you first started dating? Like how did, how did she convince you (laughs) that, that maybe, that maybe she did indeed love you? Yeah. Good question. I, I I don't know if she did the convincing or, or what the like mental hurdles that, that I kind of had to go through, but you know, a cliche has said that, you can't love someone else until you love yourself. Sure. And I know that when I first started dating Ellen for a long period of time, I did not love myself. It's because of, I, like you said, I knew what my life was like fully sighted. I knew what it was like to drive. I knew what it was like to have the independence that I had. And then all of a sudden to have that stripped away from me and be legally blind. I did not love that version of myself. Jeremy, that's such a, uh, it's a powerful thing that, and the way that you put it was really powerful. Um, I think that it is, uh, I think that it is a, it's tough to let someone in. Um, and it's especially tough to let someone in at a place where you are going through a phase of, I don't know if it's self doubt or self insecurity or self, like maybe it's not all the way to doubt, but it's just insecurity. And you're like, Oh, am I even, do I deserve to be loved? Right. That was a big thing that I thought about a lot when I was younger after um, a lot of the people that I was interested in weren't interested in be, uh, weren't also interested in me. I wrote yeah. the story of, well, I must not be good enough. Right. And sure. it's my yeah. fault. I'm going to be alone. Um, and, uh, I think it's really beautiful that at some point in time, you know, you, you wore each other down like a, like a rock stream. Um, and, and you, and you both allowed, uh, each other into your worlds. I think that's awesome. Yeah. 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 I appreciate it. And it's something that I, when she, 
and I started dating, I really had this in the back of my mind of like, why? Like, why is she interested in me? Mm-hmm. I, I thought she would have been more interested in the guy who could see and drive her places, not the guy who needed her to drive everywhere. And like, I, I couldn't grapple with that. I didn't, I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she says that she liked this version of me more. And I, I get it now more in hindsight. Because even if you're blind, hindsight's twenty twenty. Oh, uh, uh, hey, it's something that looking back on it, I realized that I I gained a lot of empathy and understanding and maturity in a few months from losing my sight than I ever did uh, before. So I I I felt like I was a nineteen year old going on thirty after losing my sight than before. I was really a nineteen year old. Uh, fraternity star who was having uh, the time of his life going on 17 um yeah, yeah something like that <laughs> for, for sure. sure for sure man uh i love that i want to come back we're going to come back to ellen in a bit um but uh we're going to stay a little sequential on this because also in that also in those years those uh those years after losing your sight you also uh fell in love with the game of golf in a new way now you had played the game before and enjoyed it um and so it's not like golf was like a brand new foreign thing you already you already had a swing that was smooth like butter so um <laughs> and uh, muscle memory is fortunately a thing um but uh what role did golf play in your uh i don't even know if recovery is the right word maybe like post acceptance period whatever however you would describe that yeah recovery helping me get to that point of acceptance but if we go back to those four p's it was passion uh i was passionate about golf before losing my sight after losing my sight my mom who's incredible and amazing she was doing tons of research and she found the usbga united states blind golf association Mm -hmm and told me that these players played in tournaments all over the world. I thought she was kidding. I didn't think that, I thought there's no way that was real. Um, but I was adamantly against it at first. Mm-hmm. She had in her mind like, oh my gosh, this is it. Like I'm, my son's gonna play blind golf. He's gonna play in tournaments. This is gonna help him so much on that road to recovery, like you said. Yeah. And I was adamantly against it because one, I had an expectation level of how I could play when I could see. Sure, yeah. I knew what I could shoot. I, I, I was shooting in the 70s, low 80s routinely and knew that that was not going to be the case after losing my sight. And so I, I was not that interested in it. And then also, uh, as a golfer, my least favorite thing on the golf course was slow play. And I thought blind golf was like the epitome of slow play like I, there's <laughs> like you're living I, out your pet peeve <laughs> yeah i don't want to be that guy who's slowing everyone up and then i i'm literally yeah my pet peeve on the course and i don't want to be embarrassing myself or others by doing that so i, w- I was against it at first and it took a while for me to to really get interested in it and say okay well, I'm, I'm willing to give this a go yeah so it was one of those pieces of advice that we were talking about earlier where you're like, too soon, mom, too soon. Um, yeah. But yeah. maybe even unknowingly, she planted a seed, which is kind of 100%. Cool. Yeah, 100%. Um, it, was just, it was just that seed waited for the right time. Um, and that's amazing, yeah. dude. And But it's also interesting because uh, I have a fear also of burdening others. That's one of my biggest mm-hmm. fears in life is that I will be a burden to others. It's why I don't 
uh, ask for a lot of help. It's why, like, even when this podcast launched, um, it was like, it was like, well, if you want to write a review, like, that'd be like really cool, but like, don't do it if you got other things, right? If you, if you're, if you're, if your water's boiling, then do it later. Um, yeah. and, uh, and right. And I, I, uh, I give everybody the opportunity to tell me no and not feel bad about it. Um, just yeah. because I have such a fear of being burning a burden to others. Um, yeah. And so for you, the idea that you were like, no, I'm going to go back into this game and figure it out. I mean, that took teamwork from the jump, right? It's not like you said, you didn't drive yourself over to the course. You didn't right. pull out. It's like, this is probably the eight iron um, and just yeah. start hacking yeah. away. Right. Like right. it was that idea of like golf immediately became a team sport, in that, in that instance, but that's not how you knew and fell in love with the game. Right. Right. What was that experience like for you? So first off, I'm going to start by saying, I saw your video about the podcast and reviews and how you said, I, I hate asking for help. I'm uncomfortable. Asking for help. <laughs> I've never, whenever I receive an email, a text or a phone call from you, I light up with excitement. Uh, and even if it's a request for something, I light up and always have and always will. So uh, that's my little nugget to plant a seed, like my mom planted a seed for me. Mm -hmm. I, I, I could say that a majority of people are, are gonna say they feel the same way because when we get a note from James, no matter what it is, we light up and we're excited about it. So I want, I want you to know that. Thank you, um, thank you. It's, 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 it's the truth. Um, when it comes to golf, uh, yeah, I played three years varsity in high school. Uh, it's very, it's, it's an independent sport. It's, it's an individual sport. Uh, if you'll, if you'll, viewers and listeners will allow me to call it a sport. Um, and you know, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know you are. And so I, I played with my dad growing up my whole life. Uh, mm -hmm. He worked in the golf industry for 30 years here in Carlsbad and I played with him every Sunday from when I was 12 till I was 17. And mm. in the beginning I was, I, I walked slow and he told me to pick up the pace because I was embarrassing him at the club. Like, Hey, come on, you got to pick it up. Uh, and I was shooting high scores, but then I started to get better and better and better. And uh, I started to, to beat him on the course and we started to have some good friendly matches yeah, yeah. and we, we did $5 Nassau's, you know, $5 for there the front nine, back nine and overall. And by the time I graduated from high school, I think I owed him over 200 bucks. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I, I would beat him on the course, but with handicaps and everything, he was beating me. So uh, he was taking my money. So My dad, my dad plays that game too. It's cold. It's cold blooded. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, you know, you know, he's got you on nine holes. Johnny, at least nine the, holes. Yeah, at yeah. least nine holes, you know, he's got you. <laughs> so I, uh, I was playing with my dad all the time. And then after I lost my sight, my mom introduced me to blind golf. Like you said, it's not something where I'm driving to the course and pulling out my own clubs. Uh, it's, it's a team sport. And every blind golfer has a guide, someone who helps them out on each and every single shot. And for me, easy choice. Uh, it's my dad. My dad's my guide in every competitive round of golf we play in. And what's really cool is in the USBGA, it's a lot of family teams, uh, father, son. Uh, uh, cool. it's, a, it's a lot more sons guiding their fathers <laughs> uh, than fathers guiding their blind sons. Uh, but 
it's uh it's it's a pretty cool experience and my first tournament ever actually was in california and after the first round we went out to dinner with a group of people and we knew no one they didn't know us and a guy said to me he said hey that's really kind of you to guide your dad on the course <laughs> and I, I said oh you got it all wrong man i'm the blind guy he's uh he's here helping me but uh <laughs> it's it's pretty darn cool it's 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 really cool because we've won many tournaments together and that's the best part is it's together. Like Tiger Woods has won so many times and, and then it's just his caddy walks away and he's interviewed. Um, it's, it's share that bond and that experience forever, which is amazing. It was incredible uh, to hear what you were just talking about with your father. Um, and it's amazing what golf has done for you, right? It's been this really amazing avenue for you to get to, uh, you know, to stay competitive, which I know you're a competitor. It's also been an incredible opportunity uh, for you to uh, grow your relationship with your father and, and build a whole new community. But then also, it's been an amazing way for you to get to experience the world. Like, did you ever think that you would be standing next to kangaroos hitting a five iron? I mean, like, what was that like? Uh, yeah, no, I never in a million years thought that that would happen. Uh, yeah, we played in the World Championship in Australia in 2014, and there's hundreds of kangaroos all over the course. And they were like, yeah, it's, it's like you guys have bunny rabbits running around the course. We got kangaroos here. I'm like, no, like, <laughs> that's not the same thing, man. This thing is gnarly. Uh, even as a blind guy, I can see that kangaroo over there. It's freaking me out. Um, but like you said earlier, I got to play Pebble Beach. I've gotten to play some really cool places. Um, got last year there was a blind rider cup uh, competition that put, takes place every other year, and it was it was in Ireland. And got to go out there with my dad, and I played eight rounds of golf in a row, and got to play with him out in Ireland. So uh, no, did I ever expect this would happen? Did I ever imagine it could happen? Absolutely not. When I was living through the nightmare of losing my sight. I never thought that any of these amazing things could happen. And so I think that's one of those things that when you're in a valley of despair and you don't, you, you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, whether you're blind or sighted, um, it's, it, there, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Like you're going to get there. And uh, I, I, all I saw was darkness in the beginning. And then, now I, I've got a lot more good days than I do bad. And uh, I, did I ever expect it or imagine it? No, no way. Yeah, yeah man, that's beautiful. And, and beautifully put too, Jeremy. Jeremy, one of the things that you talk about in, uh, I know with your speeches and just in, in general in life, something that you've learned a lot about is the concept of interdependence. Um, and I want to talk to you more about that. But before we do that, my friends, we have to jump into a segment of the show. The segment of the show is called Things You Didn't Know About Me But Are Now Glad That You Did. Um, please note, Jeremy, if, if you've seen the show, you know this, but the name of the segment changes pretty much every time. But the sentiment right. is always the same. And so uh, so, uh, so, what I would love to know from you, and you and I will go ping pong style with this. Now, what I would yeah. love to know from you is uh, – <clears throat> is, uh, what is something randomly delightful about you that you think people should know? I'll go first and then I'll throw it back to you just because that's only the fair thing. I've been grilling you the whole time. It's the least I could do. Uh, All right. Gentlemen, <laughs> you're a gentleman. A gentleman. <clears throat> so um, I, uh, I was once paid $800 in college to sing the bass arias in Handel's Messiah 
at a local church in North Carolina. Wow, they overpaid. They overpaid. I was not trained. They wanted my teacher. My teacher's like, I can't do it. And they don't have the budget for me. So you can do it. And I'll give you a couple extra lessons. Um, Wow. It was, uh, I needed the money desperately though. So it was lovely. How did it go? Do you do well? Uh, I would give myself a seven out of 10. Hey, hey. Were, Were the people who paid you, were they pleased? Uh, I believe so. I left quickly and the check cashed. So perfect. There you go. You're good. (laughs) How about you, brother? What do you got? Uh, In 2015, I had a call with the casting director for to potentially be a contestant on Dancing with the Stars. Really? I did not know this. I I was, I didn't, I really haven't told anybody that, um, but it's something that. I was holding out hope, fingers crossed, for a little bit, uh, but they had a blind or visually impaired Paralympian on maybe 2016 or 17, so uh, I lost my opportunity to be the first visually impaired competitor on the show. Wow, that's great. So did you go through like multiple interviews, or what was that like? I had one phone call with the casting director for maybe 15 minutes, and she said, you are lovely. This is fantastic. I will get in touch with you tomorrow. I said, that sounds great. Hung up, was super excited, told Ellen uh, that the call went well. Never heard from her again. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it'd be like that sometimes. Um, <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, in that realm, um, I, you, uh, you made me think of one, <clears throat> and that is that I auditioned for uh, Book of Mormon on Broadway oh, uh, back in 20, uh, around 2011. I auditioned for Book of Mormon on Broadway. They came and saw, unbeknownst to me, there were some, some people from Book of Mormon that uh, were in an improv, at an improv show that I was in, and they liked me and they liked a few of my uh, fellow teammates. And so like three of us got to come in and I auditioned for like Josh Gad's role um, in, uh, yeah, in, in, in Book of Mormon. I also uh, uh, didn't get it. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't know each other. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, tell me about that. Was it multiple rounds of in, uh, interviews or auditions for that? It was, one inter- it was one audition. It was the first time I had ever auditioned for a Broadway show. Um, and it was kind of surreal because when I was going from high school to college, I was like, do I want to go for musical theater or do I want to go for marine biology? And I chose marine biology because I was like, let me get a degree under my belt in case I need a job someday. Because in my opinion, at, at my opinion at the time, it was, if I want to do theater, let me just keep putting myself in the right place and make some connections and I'll, I'll probably have the opportunity. If I'm good, mm-hmm. I'll get the opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was crazy because here I was auditioning for this Broadway play and I was like, see, see? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, sure. but, so it was kind of this crazy, this crazy moment, but it was only one. Uh, they didn't call me back, uh, but uh, they still have my headshots on file. So a man can dream. Man, could you in 2011 when you auditioned? Did you know it was going to be a big deal, or was it like, oh, I'm going for the show, and then find out later, like, oh man, Book of Mormon was a hit. Book of Mormon was already a big deal at that point. Okay. Yeah, okay. it was still it was it was a young it was a young show still it was still an early show, but it had taken off and gotten a lot of great press. Dang, that's so cool, man. That's awesome. I love it. Give me one more, brother. One more fun fact. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Green Bay Packers quarterback follows me on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> and 
responds to your messages. <laughs> responds to some of my messages. <laughs> I don't care what his brother or anybody else says. Uh, I know from personal experience, he's an amazing guy, great guy. I've had nothing but good experiences in the probably 40 minutes I've spent with him in uh, over the last three or four years. Um, we, we've, we've dangled the, the idea of playing around a golf together multiple times and it hasn't panned out yet. But a man can dream. Uh, Yet we'll we'll see what happens. That's it. I mean, he's, he'll retire soon enough, um, and uh, he'll have a little more time on his hands. Even though I could, see, he's definitely got the personality that I could see him uh, doing some broadcasting for sure. Um, yeah, I, I feel like he's not going to completely leave the game. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. we got a huge Vikings fan watching right now, so he's probably looking for Aaron Rodgers to retire sooner rather than later. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. He's, he's pretty darn good. Man. It's, uh, it's, yeah. He's, he's, I, in my opinion, he's a good, I'm, I'm from San Diego. Uh, we used to have the chargers. They moved to LA. So they're, they're dead to me. Uh, I'm a Packers fan through and through now because of it. Woo! Sorry for the Vikings fans. Hate to say. Yeah, yeah. All right. Scott, Scott's a good man. He'll get over it. Um, yeah. So uh, right, <laughs> I love it, brother. Let's jump back in interdependence. First off, uh, for the for the for one more time for the person in the back, um, what what is interdependence? First off, let's get a quick uh, Merriam-Webster on that. <laughs> so interdependence is is like people, multiple people, two or more people being able to work together and build each other up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we can get kind of people think codependence is synonymous, but it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we all know about independence and yep. dependence. Uh, codependence is when people depend on each other, but if one uh, leaves, the other one falls flat. Uh, we, we think like the, the typical codependent relationship we think of as high school relationships, mm-hmm. uh, where it's like, I need him uh, without him. I'm nothing. Or, or I need her without her. I'm nothing. Um, but interdependence is you need you need to be an independent person to have interdependence in your life. Okay. And so you're able to build each other up. Interesting. So it's kind of like that uh, a, a cliche thing that people often tell individuals that are about to get married, right? Like ideally you are your own independent person. You do not yeah. need each other, but together you build a really badass platform to build a life together on. 100%. What you and Tina are doing is 100% the epitome of interdependence. Well, thank you, brother. And you and you and Ellen as well, for sure. Um, so, uh, so where, um, where would you say you have, I mean, this is a number of places, but where has inter- interdependence really come into play in your world where it's like, hey, this is something that without this, I don't think I would be X or Y or something like that. Like where, where are some places where it really comes up for you? Uh, my, one of my best friends, Mark, we created a fundraising bike ride and we ride on a tandem bike together to raise money and awareness, to find a cure for the disorder that caused me to lose my sight, L-H-O-N. Mm-hmm. Like that's something that we wouldn't have done that and become, wouldn't have become as close of friends if it wasn't for losing my sight and then doing that. And mm-hmm. it's something we've continued doing year after year. Um, my relationship with Ellen, uh, mm-hmm. being able to me find my independence as a visually impaired person and her be an independent woman yeah. and have the two of us support each other 
to build each other up in the relationship and not have a tit for tat thing of, Hey, you did this. Now you got to do that. Or, Hey, she does all the driving. So I therefore have to, no, no, no. It's, it's not one half plus one half equals one. It's one plus one equals two. Um, and then for sure, we touched on it. My dad, yeah. my dad and I on the golf course is interdependence at its finest. I need his eyes. He needs my golf swing. And together we make a, a formidable team. But your dad, your dad gives you a lot of shit on the golf course, though, brother. Isn't your isn't your dad constantly like jabbing at you? He's got he's got a good sense of humor on him. That guy. He's got a great sense of humor on him, and if he's listening, I give him way more shit than he gives me. That's for sure. Because I'm super competitive, like you said, and on the golf course, I'm very competitive. Mm-hmm. When it's a, when it's a tournament, it's go mode. Like we're we're trying to shoot the lowest score we possibly can. Let's do this. And he's a, he's a little more relaxed and he'll try to crack a joke and it's like no that joke did not work well we like you gotta score dude so uh, i give him a lot more crap than he gives me uh but yeah it's, it's that's interdependence is like i need him he needs me and one without the other we're going nowhere there mm-hmm. yeah that's beautiful uh <clears throat> that's beautiful for sure um so I, I, i'm gonna interject sorry please but do I, I think with interdependence I think like if we want to like relate to what we're going through in the world right now, I think as America, we're a very independent culture. Mm-hmm. We're very, we're a very me centric culture. Yeah. And I think how we're dealing with the pandemic is very much me, me, me. What am I going to do to take care of myself? Yeah. Whereas other countries who are more we focused and interdependent have handled this a lot better than us because it's less about, how do I protect myself, but more about how do we protect everybody? Yeah. Amen to that, brother. Uh, I would I would second all of that. It was a big thing that when, you know, when the pandemics first started coming on, I mean, I remember Tina saying like, what is the, what is America going to be like when they're told that they can't do X, Y, or Z, right? That, that, that's for sure. The land of the free home of the brave. Don't tread on me, right? Like, like you 100%. know, uh, and yeah, so uh, it is, it has been a fascinating case study. Um, and yeah, case 100%. study. I mean, loss of lives, um, yeah. and been really scary in a lot of ways. Um, but and with people, with yes. people not not wanting to wear masks, and it's like I'm not going to wear a mask because if I get it, like I'll I'll survive it or I'll be fine. It's like, but that's not the mentality we need to have. It's not yeah. if I get it, then I'll be okay. It's I'm going to wear a mask because I don't want to get it for sure, but I also don't want to give it to anybody. And that's, that's the, the mindset we need to have. And that's what interdependence is. It's, it's we more so than me. And yeah, Tina's spot on with that. It's like with America, we're very me centric and very independent, which is great when it comes to entrepreneurship and, and building businesses and things of that nature. But when it comes to taking care of the vast majority of society, mm-hmm. uh, we struggle and, and it's, it's been, um, it's it's been it's been shown uh, through this experience, which is really unfortunate. Yeah, oh, very yeah, great uh, great word. Um, disappointing, I think we have to throw in there too. Um, yeah, but sure. uh, so I'm interested in this because I mean, obviously, Pointe-de-Neu is French. Um, is your oui. is your like, where does the French lineage come in? Like, when did your family come here? Were you taught European values because your parents lived there, or uh, or would you say you know, what what does that look like for you? Yeah, uh, my dad uh, is off the boat from France. He came here in the mid 80s. 
Uh, he came over in the mid eighties and started working for TaylorMade golf. And he came over here for what was supposed to be a two year project. He met my mom who was working in marketing uh, at TaylorMade at the time. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. They got married, had three children. And, um, I, I would go back to France. We, my whole family, we would go back to France every year for at least a week. Um, and my dad spoke only French to me until I was five. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my other fun fact is, uh, I'm bilingual and speak fluent French. And that's really because of that, when you're a sponge and that young, uh, learning a language is a lot easier than it would be to start now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, my dad spoke only French to me till I was five. Um, I would, then when we would go to France, my grandparents only spoke French to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so France holds a very special place in my heart. Hence why my wife and I got married in Paris. And yeah, we, um, I, I, I've got some French values. I would say I definitely lean a lot more toward American values because I was brought up here. Sure, um, yeah. But but I definitely have uh, French values as well, and 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 absolutely, I love I absolutely love the culture. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. Yeah, I was curious about that, um, just because it it is a different culture. It. it it is a different set of values. Right. Um, and, uh, so yeah. And, and just hearing the way that you talk about the pandemic, we obviously see the difference in the way the United States is handling it versus the way that, uh, you know, those, the countries, the big countries are over in Europe handling it as well. I mean, yeah. no one, no one's out here getting gold stars. I mean, maybe like maybe Japan, maybe South Korea. Um, but, yeah. uh, but, uh, they're certainly getting more prettier stars than we're getting. Um, yeah. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Here's a, one last question that I have for you, brother um, is going back to the concept of, of interdependence. Um, I'd be curious to hear you talk a little bit about what does that look like? Um, uh, what does that look like in, in marriage? And then I actually, I do have another question for you too. I'm sorry. Um, but what does that look like in marriage for you? Right. I mean, y'all have just been married for a little bit, but you've been dating for a long time, living together for a long time, living in sin, you crazy kids. Um, <laughs> and, uh, right. Um, but, uh, <laughs> what, um, what is it, what does it look like in your, in your world to be interdependent with your, with your wife? Like, how does that look like on a, on a weekly basis? You know, you continuously ask a blind guy what it looks like. And that's, I mean, that is, that's rough. Dude. Yeah. No, I'm that's, just anywhere I can needle in. I'm here for yeah, it. Yeah. I know you, I know. <laughs> uh, great question. I think interdependence when it comes to a marriage for me is what we touched on earlier. It's allowing her to have her complete in, in, independence yeah. and be her who I love and have loved since the beginning of meeting her mm-hmm. and her allow me to be my independent self, but like together uh, do like be able to have this incredible marriage and, and have a loving relationship where we support each other in the different things that we're interested in doing. Like we don't have to do each and every single thing together. Sure. Um, but whatever she wants to do, she bounces ideas off of me and I can tell her my thoughts and opinions. Um, but like, I, I respect her for being an independent woman and doing what she does. Um, I, I think that's really the key is, is realizing that you're, you're allowed to be independent people, mm-hmm. 
but I think also with marriage, like there, there is compromise. There are things that we work on to be able to find middle ground. Um, but I think it's just, it's realizing that it takes two independent people to see the power of interdependence. Yeah. And here's why I brought that up, brother, um, is because you and I have something really exciting that's happening in our lives. Um, we are both about to be fathers. Um, hey. And, uh, hey, congratulations, my guy. Right back at you. Right back at you. Robert. Um, and so, you know, when we think about, I'm, I'm curious, as where does interdependence fit in with raising a child who is very dependent, right? You can't be like, listen, yeah. kid, figure it out and pay the rent. Um, right. Like as much yeah. as our parents like to make that joke to us earlier. Um, sure. but, uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, where do you think this plays a role as, as you were approaching fatherhood, coming up here quite soon, maybe even if the podcast, uh, when the, the podcast comes out, you may already be a father because it can happen. I mean, really any time in the next handful of weeks for you, um, which yeah. is really awesome. <clears throat> um, but yeah. uh, how does that conversation sit with you as far as like interdependence with, with, with fatherhood? Yeah. Great question. I, I think the key is like you said, they're, they're going to be dependent for a long period of time there, but then it's to realize that from there, they need to, gain independence mm -hmm. so i want them to from dependence find independence be able to do things on their own yeah and then with interdependence it's gaining the confidence and the courage and losing the fear of asking for help and yeah. so how i envision that is when my son, soon to be son when he is at an age where he can read things, he and I can cook together mm -hmm. and I'm going to hand him instructions and say, dad can't read that. Dad can't see that. Can you read that to me? And we're going to make it together. Yeah. And so I think by teaching by example, I can, I can ask him for help. And he's like, oh, cool. I'm a part of this team with dad. Like, I need to read this to him for us to then cook this together. Uh, and and I, I got to say, I called a guy who is a dad who has the same disorder I have. And he's raised two incredible uh, now adult children. And I spoke with him on the phone for a couple hours just saying, like, what are your tips to, you know, parenting kids with mm -hmm. with limited sight, with being visually impaired? And that's one of the things he told me is like, hey it's great. Like at, at a point, like they're going to get to an age where they can see and read things to you. So ask them and it'll be to your benefit. Like you take them on walks and say, uh, can you tell daddy what that street says? What time is that? <laughs> <laughs> and and that's, that, that was really powerful when he told me that he said when he, when his daughter got to be a certain age, you know, they would bake cookies together and she would read the instructions to, to him. And it was really cool to, to get them on board at an early age. So I think that's, that's how I see interdependence fitting in for, for my child. But I, I think it's really realizing it goes dependence, independence, and then interdependence. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that, uh, that those steps as well. And that's beautiful, man. I, I, what a beautiful image of you baking some cookies with your son or whatever, whatever y'all are, whatever y'all are whipping up in the kitchen. Uh, that's, uh, that's incredible. Uh, that's, that's a really beautiful image. Um, and I, I can't wait, I can't wait for Ellen to take a picture of that. Um, so we yeah. can all see it, but, uh, yeah. 
Um, that's that's amazing, man. And I agree with you. Um, I agree with you in a lot of ways. And I think it's interesting because you will have this amazing opportunity for your child to learn the power of giving, the power of selflessness, the power of kindness, right? Like all those things are things that they will have to learn earlier. Like they would just be very natural for them uh, in order to help out around the house in the best way that they can. Um, and that's, uh, that's pretty incredible, right? Cause some of those yeah. things are, they're easy to take for granted, uh, especially yeah. in, in an independent selfish country. Um, it, it's very easy to take those things for granted. Um, and so that's incredible. So fatherhood in general for you, man, how, how are you feeling about it? Are you, you know, now that you're, you know, a, a couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks out, wherever we're at, um, are you now more overwhelmed and obviously still excited, but like, like what's your ratio of overwhelmed to excitement? Yeah, I'd say it's 50, 50, I'm, I'm 50%, <laughs> uh, excited with 50% extremely nervous James I'm so nervous uh I'm so nervous because it's it's that like we talked about with coaching uh there's that responsibility factor well it's like that times a million uh being a father I'm just I'm extremely nervous but I also need to like have that perfectionist inside me go away and realize that it's not going to be perfect yeah but I, I just want to, I, I want to do the best that I can to raise an upstanding citizen, a good human being. And uh, I agree, I, being visually impaired is going to force them into a situation where they are going to have to learn skills that other children won't, uh, that's going to benefit them in the, in the long run, uh, I hope and think. Um, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I'd be lying to you if I said I was, uh, if I felt prepared or ready or uh, like I had it under control. Like I, I'm, I'm super nervous for sure. Uh, <laughs> how about, how about you? I mean, how, how, how are you feeling? I'm, I'm four, Elle and I are four and a half weeks away from our due date. How, how are you feeling, uh, leading up to it? Yeah, we're, we're about, um, we're about two months out, I think early January is when we were due. And, uh, and so, uh, I would say we just bought a house and we just moved in a week and a half ago and the house has been a lovely distraction, right? Cause there's just so sure. many things you got to do. Um, and you know, where are you going to hang this? Where are you going to put that? Where are you going to move that? You're going to build this piece of furniture, whatever, like all these different things. Um, and so I would say that now that the house is kind of getting closer to being set up, it's yeah. now it's I can now start to feel like the oh, okay we got things to like it was it was a lovely distraction and it's now we're real now we're diving into the books and we're having the conversations we're supposed to have and right I mean just register we just registered and that's horrifying like which one of these you know which one of these car seats is my kid not going to die in that's the one I want to register for right unless yeah. like and I don't know the difference between this wrap and this sack and this bag and it right like I mean all these different. Yeah pumps and and these kind of things like what kind of bathtub i don't know what's happening um I and, know. It's, and at know. each turn like you said that perfectionism of like which one's gonna mess up my kid um yeah. and uh yeah. that is why one of the best pieces of advice that i have gotten um that i am, am trying like on good days i hear um and on other days i try to remember um is is that kids uh, babies are pretty adult proof <laughs> right and so like they're gonna figure it out um and i mean obviously you need to feed them you need to 
you know, take care of them, bathe them, put them to bed, try to get them on some sort of a schedule. But like after that, like which dangly thing is above their head or what paint the nursery is or like what, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it ain't, it ain't gonna matter. Right. I mean, think about right. it. When we were kids, my favorite, my favorite toy was a toodaloo, i.e. a, uh, which was just a, a toilet paper roll after the toilet paper was gone. <laughs> my mom called them toodaloos. And That's I was awesome. like, yo, this is the jam right here. Right. Like a paper towel was like, it was like, it was like a trombone toodaloo. The toilet paper was a trumpet toodaloo. And, uh, Right. And like, so I love it. So, I mean, it's not as complicated as we make it and as our perfectionist tendencies make it, but it's really easy for me to say that it's another thing for me to fall asleep comfortably each night, knowing that, yeah. believing it, trusting it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I couldn't agree more. It's something. Yeah. I, I like my sleep uh, in general <laughs> and I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous that obviously that's going to go out the window and, uh, it's, yeah, it's, I've, I've read a handful of books so far or listened to a handful of books so far and, uh, I'm enjoying that, but it's like, just as much as it makes me feel more prepared and learning some things, it also makes me just as much nervous, uh, equally nervous. So, uh, it's, it's, it's just crazy. It's such a, a big chapter in our lives yes. and, uh, it's going to be pretty cool to to be so close to you guys in, in that experience. It's going to be really fun. No, it's going to be awesome, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm also excited that you're just a bit ahead of us. So thanks for that. Um, uh, <laughs> you got to let me know if the water's warm in the pool. Um, and yeah, if it is, yeah. it's because your kid pissed in it. Um, there you go. And you can ball in. That's it. I'm coming in no matter what. I have no shame. Uh, and you know your boy makes a splash. So yeah. uh, that's awesome, dude. I think it's, yeah. I think it is, it is truly a beautiful journey that we are embarking on. And, uh, but it is, like you said, I mean, we know our lives right now. We know the value of time. We have dreams. We have, we're entrepreneurs. We have businesses that we need to maintain. Um, and it's, it's very interesting to think about, like, it's been so business focused for so yeah. many months, um, in yeah. years, right? I mean, years. Yeah. And, uh, and like the idea that that's going to change is crazy to me, but it is, it is yeah. going to change. And, yeah. you know, I'm going to do the reading. I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the blogs. I'm learning things. I got the apps. But at the end of the day, when you have not slept in days and that kid's doing something, it's also nuts to think that we have instincts inside of us and we're just going to follow those, right? Yeah. Like the human race has existed because of those instincts not because of all of these, uh, not because of all the medical advances and all the new safety rules and all that kind of stuff. Those have helped, but like what has truly pushed our survival is instincts and what is innately inside yeah. of us, right? Like, I mean, just the idea of, I mean, you experiencing Ellen being pregnant, right? The, I mean, the, the women's body is crazy, right? Real, the man. fact The fact that breast milk changes on like a week to monthly basis based on what the baby needs. That's batshit. You know what I yeah. mean? And, yeah. uh, oh, and so yeah. it's, it's just incredible that like science, science has our back. Um, and so let's make sure that we try to nail the nurture side. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, 
through watching Ellen go through this experience, like, I think you'd agree that women are the superior sex, man. I don't know how she's doing it. All she's going through and, and, and to be pregnant in general has got to be crazy, but yep. doing it during COVID, I'm like in awe of my wife and how she's handling this and doing it. And I'm just like, I am not worthy. Like, how is this possible? It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's uh, it's, it's pretty darn crazy. Yeah, I agree. Tina, same thing. Same thing. Uh, beautifully put, brother. I'm not going to try to put it any other way. Instead, I'm just going to say thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for hanging out with me in the diner, sliding into the booth, um, and having a, just a great conversation. Every conversation I have with you leaves me wanting more, uh, but also leaves me thinking uh, and, uh, and just grateful. So I really appreciate you, uh, Jeremy, for being in my life, for being in the diner tonight. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough. And uh, if you're willing, man, I'd love to see you. If you'd be willing to hold on and, uh, and answer a couple of questions if some people have them. Um, are you willing to hang out for just a minute? Without a doubt. would love nothing more. I love it, brother. I love it. Well, Jeremy, thank you for coming to the diner, man. Um, so uh, my friends, for you on the podcast, on the podcast, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure that you catch up with Jeremy Points to Know, jeremypointstoknow.com. We'll have all the information about him and how you can link up with him in the show notes for sure. Uh, but as always, if you're interested in hearing the Q&A, make sure you go to my YouTube channel. Just type in James T. Robo on YouTube and you can find Jeremy's episode and uh, and you can link up with him there. But uh, if you can't do that and if you have to leave us right now my friends thank you so much for being here podcast listeners I appreciate you all y'all stay great thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James it was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth <laughs> <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.